listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Our guest today is James Brown. Now, James is one of the leading magicians in the UK, achieving the prestigious title of Close-Up Magician of the Year by the world-famous Magic Circle. So normally, I keep these episodes down to about an hour. Sometimes they can be a little bit longer than an hour. But this conversation was so interesting and so organically compelling that I I couldn't cut it down to an hour. So this episode's about two hours long. It's basically a double episode. Um, And if you like, you can think of the first half as being the normal episode and the second half as being just like an extended bonus. In this first half, James talks about his self-applied title of professional opportunist, He talks about creating joy in other human beings, Uh, this interesting thing he's got called urban chaos, Um, and he also talks a lot about confidence, which is really interesting and might be surprising to some people, but it's uh, very eye-opening. And then the second half, which is the bonus uh, section, is basically an extended meditation by all three of them about political correctness, and this sort of curse of ultra-sensitivity that seems to be plaguing our society uh, at the moment. And so the second half is basically just completely unedited. I just let it roll. So here we go with James Brown. I met James a few years ago. He came to the U.S. And this is James Brown, not the famous singer, of course, um, but the famous magician, and uh, mentalist and pickpocket and um, hypnotist and teacher, James Brown from the UK. Um, James came over and he taught a combination hypnosis magic pickpocketing course um, in, in Las Vegas, Nevada, which was mind-blowing and fun. And, um, you know, he kept us entertained the whole time, stealing our watches and wallets and ties and belts and so forth. Um, and James, I had a really good time at that workshop. No, thank you, mate. Yeah. It feels like a lifetime ago. It was. A lot of things have happened since then, for sure, <clears throat> in my life and, and uh, others. But um, James is known for a lot of things uh, in the world. He not only goes around the world teaching about uh, hypnosis and magic and performance, um, he's done some, you've done like a TED Talk or two, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one in particular I saw was called the, wasn't it called the power of belief or something like that? Um, yeah, the magic magic, belief, magic, which was great. Um, uh, if you have a chance listeners, uh, you know, to do a search for those things, we'll try to provide some links for that later on, on the page, but, um, you know, look for the magic of belief, Ted talk, James Brown. Um, also look up the term professional opportunist, which (laughs) is, um, uh, that's a good way to find him. Make sure you have the right one. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that, that, that fancy title you have, the professional opportunist? Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, it, it stems from a couple of things, to be honest, that the first one was, um, here in the UK and it may be different worldwide, of course, but here in the UK, the word magician, uh, it, it comes with a bit of baggage, sometimes not not all the time but it can often come with a bit of baggage that when you say magician people tend to think of either um you know uncle bob who does those three card tricks at christmas um 
just something a little bit lame uh, or uh, people uh, can often think of a Saturday afternoon balloon modeler at the children's uh, <laughs> restaurant events. And neither of those things, well, at least I hope neither of those things sort of defined what I did in any way and what I do. Um, so part of it was I was searching for something to distinguish myself from that category. Uh, also, because I was doing a lot of teaching and training, um, people weren't really going to pay a lot of money for a magician. Again, we're talking about within the environment that I worked in. Um, so I was looking for something a bit different. Um, and and the, the term um, professional opportunist came, came about for several people that I know. Specifically, um, the guy who sort of coined the phrase for me was a guy called Darius uh, Zayatabari, um, who who described what I did as being very opportunistic. He said, of all the people I know, you just have this kind of sort of carefree um, attitude um, and he was trying to define what it was and um, essentially what it came down to was that um, I don't unlike most people who are goal orientated you know in the moment that they have like this is the thing I want to achieve mm -hmm. um, uh, and they're, they're sort of blinkered to that end which is not a bad thing necessarily uh, I have a much more sort of free-spirited way of looking at things and I'm always looking out for, for, for ways to move. So the journey is more interesting than the outcome as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, and as a result of that, I'm happy to change direction at a moment's notice. I'm not very happy with scripting and scripts, generally speaking. Uh, so this idea of the, of the professional opportunist was born that, you know, I'm happy to mix together uh, magic and pickpocketing and suggestion and and, and mentalism and, and and sort of throw them all into the toolkit and uh, and pick what out whatever I need out at any given moment in time and so that that was kind of the mm. the, the, the potted history of the the, the name okay and uh, you know it, it sort of reminds me of something a little older like like Victorian almost sounding you know yeah I, I mean I, I suppose if I'm honest it, it it slightly slightly comes off the back of um, uh, a number of other performers who you know again through 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 time who've who've sort of decided let's let's have a title um, and, and it's it's very much a subtitle in the sense of you know it's James Brown professional opportunist mm. it's that kind of tagline uh, to do, to define who I am um, and it's and, and as you've kind of proven, it, it leads into conversation. Mm -hmm. People, you know, written on a business card. I, I the first set of business cards I had literally just said uh, on on one side it just said James Brown, professional opportunist, and on the on the other side it just had my mobile phone number. Um, so people would like, what's this? You know, <laughs> to explain open loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Very much. It's a it's um, it's a real purple cow. You know, yeah. that, that, that purple cow idea that uh, it's, yeah. it's a tagline that stands out and you go, wait a minute, what? Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, I have to say that, that, that when you perform and even when you were performing for us in a small group, um, it's really hard not to laugh like to, to, to laugh your ass off because as you're doing all this stuff and you're, you know, in a sense getting molested and taken advantage of by, by your technique, um, uh, it's hard not to just start giggling because you just can't believe that there's so many things going on and that you're missing so much. And I don't know. I mean, 
do you find that that a lot of people laugh when when you're doing with their yeah well, I, I, so i uh i don't i don't want to take myself seriously my 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 whole purpose of getting into this this industry from the beginning was uh, and it's still sort of my raison d'etre uh, to this day. It's the idea of creating joy uh, mm. in other people. That, that to me is is why I do this. I mean, the, the 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 idea that um, money uh, m- money is a reward, not a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, so money is the thing that happens because of the thing that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that I do is is about creating joy. Um, and and I found for me the best way is to is to not take myself seriously. Um, I want people to have fun. To you know, I'm, I, I don't want to be that kind of dark lord style <laughs> uh, magician mentalist. Mephistopheles. Uh, yeah, it's sort of a much more a much more of a, a sort of a a, a playful Loki esque character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that to me was the was was what I've always aimed for. Um, I've, I've never considered myself to be a comedian um, specifically. Uh, but comedy, you know, good times and laughter are massively important in in everything that I do, and it, it kind of doesn't matter, you know, even when I'm uh, even when I'm delving into the maybe even the, the sort of the therapeutic side of of, of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's important that we should have uh, playfulness. I think is a good word. Playfulness. There's there's a, a lack of playfulness uh, in in too many areas of life. Um, and part part of my feeling and thinking is I'd like to bring playfulness back. Yeah, you know, I think I think human beings hu- human beings are are arguably born at their best and then deteriorate over time uh, unless unless something is done better. <laughs> yeah, that's you know? well put. Well put. You know, you yeah. know what's interesting is uh, uh, you know, children. Uh, have to play in order to develop as human beings, and we get we gather all of our adult skills from childhood play. And at what age do we stop playing? You know, it's like, maybe is it, is it when we graduate from high school and realize that it's okay, that's it. It's time to grow up. Um, like, I wonder where that happens officially, you know, and why well, do we have to do that? For, for, for some of us, the truth is it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that's, that's been my great joy. Um, I, I came up with something many years ago and I don't know if we did it in, I'm not, I can't recall whether we actually did it in, uh, well, I think we did. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm mind reading what you're about to say, uh, I'm okay. just going to say it. In fact, um, the exercise where we had to go out and yeah. create unusual things, uh, and yeah. do, do unexpected things. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. So, so I, I came up with this, this notion of, uh, of what we called urban chaos. It was just the title it got given urban over chaos, time. I like it. Uh, so, so the premise of urban chaos, and I would implore your, 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 your watchers, your listeners, uh, uh to get involved in this. So, so the premise is, um, it's layered. Number one, everything that you do is about creating joy for other people. Mm. That that's the, the main reason that you're doing it. But within that, you also learn about, uh, what social conventions um, can be and even should be broken, um, and you learn how much more you are actually capable of doing. So you can go right. So the the very basic level I would say of urban chaos is things like free hugs. Is understanding that if you ask somebody, if you went out with some friends and you said to to most of them, could you walk over to that group of people and 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 offer to hug a stranger? An awful lot of people would say no. Yeah. That's true. You say why, 
and then they falter. They kind of don't really know why, or if they do answer the question, it will be, it will be an automated answer. You know, oh, I'm too scared to, or or people would people would laugh at me, or it's just not the thing to do. But none of those are really answers. They don't actually get to the heart of what the problem is. So part of urban chaos was actually to teach people that you can do far more than you think that you can do. And a lot of the stuff that you think you can't do is, is imaginary. And it's incredibly liberating. You're standing in line in the grocery store waiting to get to the checkout. Um, and there's usually music playing in the thing. Um, but uh, dance and dance with the person in front of you or the person behind you mm -hmm. get get people to join in um, play tag in in the supermarket just randomly walk up to somebody and go you're it and run away <laughs> they, they probably won't chase you they probably won't chase you but now and again somebody somebody will will be on the same wavelength and, and you you just get this thing that happens um <laughs> That's a great idea. and um, we came up with i mean i've come up with just tons and tons of these and some of them are, are utterly ridiculous um some of them are, are, are classics um so there's there's things like um you know the the, the peg it um peg it forward where you write a nice little note on a clothes peg yeah and you clip it to people's things so you've got things like that which are kind of fun to do uh, just out and about um uh, just as something that you can do. But then you've got kind of more challenge aspects, which is what you've seen on Impractical Jokers, uh, where, you, where, you, where you have to sort of get as many, uh, I think on Impractical Jokers, it was getting pencils, putting pencils into people's pockets. So you bought loads of cheap pencils. Right. And you just, like you and a mate, would just see how many you could get into one person's pocket before they noticed. <laughs> and you just have this kind of weird competition. Uh, and because you're giving something to somebody, nobody can get cross with you, you know, not, not really, yeah. um, or, or pegging balloons. But we used to do it with people, because in the UK, because of the weather, a lot of the young lads wear hoodies. So there's a lot of these hoodie wearers and they have these hoodies on. Uh, but they usually have them down. So the idea was how many random items could you put into the hood uh -huh. of somebody's coat before they noticed? And no one turned around and slugged you. No, never, never, <laughs> never. Because well, again, this is this is the thing. So there's this there's this assumption of of what we fear of of the reaction that we might get. Yeah. But bearing in mind that you're doing something straight away, you're doing something which is so left field of people's mm -hmm. thinking. They don't have a programmed response for it. But also, it, part of it is about how you respond and react and the expression you have on your face when they do turn around and the way you handle the situation. These are all, and of course, you'd progress up to kind of more interactive things. Mm -hmm. But simple things which are just silly, like just unadulterated silliness. Like, um, have, have you guys got kids, by the way? I don't. And uh, no, just pets. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You've got Not pets. Yeah. But, but you'll, you'll still, yes. Yeah. You'll still be aware of this concept that uh, we, we've, because you, you were children yourselves once uh, parents, when you're particularly at a restaurant in a public place, parents will, will just randomly say to the children, do you need to go to the toilet? <laughs> and the children will go, no. And they'll get, yes, you do. And they'll kind of frog march mm. you off to the loo. <laughs> yeah. Um, Obviously, I've got kids, so I was aware because I'd said it to my kids. My parents had said it to me. And one day, and this is about maybe five or six years ago, I sat in a restaurant with my wife and, and um, our, our two kids at the time. Uh, as, as in, at the time, our eldest has grown up and left home, you see. Um, but we, we were sat there in the restaurant with his two kids. And Joe, my wife, said to, uh, to our youngest, Charlie, um, who was sort of three years old at the time, she said, um, Charlie, do you need the toilet? No. 
yes, you do, come on. And so she took him to the loo. And then just something struck me as funny. This idea of the things, because you mentioned it earlier, uh, Satch, this idea of the things that we do as children but stop doing as adults. Mm. So I thought, oh, wouldn't that be great? So anyway, she came back and we carried on eating. And then I got up and I went, I'm just going to the loo. And she went, okay. And then I walked to the table next to us who were just in the middle of their meal having a nice time. And I leant in and I went, sorry, guys, sorry to disturb you, but um, I'm just going to the toilet. Does anybody else need to go? <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> just looked at me blankly. Um, sort of, no. I went, That's fine. And then I walked to the next table and I said it again. <laughs> yeah. okay. And on the second table, this sort of slightly elderly lady just looked up and went, um, Yes, I went, come on then, and took her arm and, and led her to the, to the, to the lavatory. <laughs> oh, and, and, oh, that's classic. But yeah. I, I, do this, I do this lots of times. Um, my personal favourite, my, probably my favourite, because it's just so simple, is that social convention that we have when you say, uh, you, you, maybe you're in a, in a, in a bar, um, restaurants different but bars particularly you do this a lot uh where a group of you will get to the bar and the, maybe the seven of you but there's only six chairs around the table that you're that you're at so one of you will wander off find a a, a group who've seemed to have a spare chair and you'll say is anybody sitting here they'll say oh no 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 go for it and you take the chair and you go back with your friends i, I think that's a pretty much a universal mm. moment right so it's obvious, isn't it? You walk up to a group of people with one spare chair and you're saying, sorry, is anybody sitting here? And when they go, no, you sit down. Yeah, perfect. Just, just join them. Because it, it's just one of those moments. It's, they don't know, they're not expecting you to do that. Um, but genuinely, I've, I've made friends doing that. I've, I've you know, enjoyed an evening out with people I never knew just because I walked up and said that, sat down, had that in it you get a, it's a moment of discomfort which which can then just be broken with a funny comment or a um a grin you know just as something as simple as a big grin wow. kind of a recognition that that we all know we all not all know what's going on so i mean it's, it's it's just about playing with these ideas but it's it's really healthy i think to do it because i think as we become Going back to this idea of being childlike and playful, when you're a child, you're not constrained by, by rules and boundaries because you don't know what they are. So you don't, so you don't feel constrained. And, and then those, those rules are then applied to you. And some of them are there for good reason. An awful lot of them aren't. Mm -hmm. A lot of rules that we have in our they lives. Go unquestioned. We go mm -hmm. We Yeah, I mean, sorry to rabbit on about this, but my my, my favourite one of those, uh, and it was kind of what I coined the phrase on, um, um, and I've used it in a few talks, is what I call the elbows on the table problem. Oh, right. Mm. Yeah. Um, so my, um, just going back a year or two now, uh, we're having dinner one, one evening, and I said to Charlie, my youngest, so, who's eight now, so he was maybe six or seven at the time, and uh, and I said, Charlie, get your elbows off the table. And and I don't know why, but I, I said it quite sternly. And I'm not usually stern with Charlie. I'm usually much softer with him. And uh, but I kind of barked at him, saying, "Get your elbows off the table." And he looked re really shocked and really hurt. And he said, "Why?" And I went, "Well, it's rude." I said, "But why is it rude?" Like and I could see the tears welling up in his eyes. Bless him. And I thought. I don't know. 
I, I really, I, I really don't have a good answer for for that at all. And now I kind of felt bad that I, I t- told him off for some, you know, for for this bizarre thing. And the only thing I could I could think was, well, my parents told me, so I phoned my dad up, and I said I had the same conversation with my father. I said, look, you know what's what's going on here and, and we went through the same thing he said oh it's rude well why is it rude and then he thought for a while and he said do you know what he says i've no idea he says i think it's probably because my mum told me <laughs> and and the question then is how many generations does that go back yeah. with nobody knowing why each generation tells the next generation off for having their elbows on the table yeah. but but not just not just saying it as something to do and who cares one way or the other but actively telling their children off yeah yeah actively verbally punishing their children for doing something but not even knowing why they're doing it yeah so that i find fascinating i was gonna say talk about pegging it forward you know it's like that's generation after generation of pegging something negative forward i remember having the same thought as a child somebody told no elbows on the table i remember being really truly puzzled like how is this a problem like i don't understand it's comfortable You know. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of it's you know. It, look, it's the right height. It's, it's perfect. There. I know. Yeah, right. I mean, I think yeah. we need to start an anti-movement. Okay, does everybody have their elbows on the table? Okay, good. We can proceed. <laughs> let's begin. You know? Yeah, let's begin. Yeah, yeah. 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 We'll just, you know, it's 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 a new you know. Studies show that resting your elbows on the table takes tension out of your shoulders and it makes a more peaceful meal. So you know. Oh, gonna, you could, oh, just just imagine creating. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. I was just thinking that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We just go, we just go to random tables and just say, "My job is to teach everybody about the latest research, which is bullshit." But you know, yeah. <laughs> and then and then just get it going, and and then we just you know, because all the original elbows on off the tables bullshit. So why not? Yeah, well, you're, you're reminding yeah. me of a, a story that my old girlfriend told me um, about how her mother uh, would always chop the. It was like a leg of lamb or a pork roast in half. And that was just part of the process. And so she did it also. And at some point she asked her, you know, mom, you know, why, why are we doing that? Why are we, why do we always do that? Is there some, does it help a cook faster? Or, you know, what's, what's the deal? Why is that always a part of it? And she's like, I don't know. My, that's how I learned from my mom. And well, luckily the grandmother was still alive and the grandmother said, well, I just had a small, you know, baking dish so I yeah, cut it to fit you yeah. know, into the baking dish. So it's like, <laughs> So they kind of like put it, you know, face palm, like, oh my God, we didn't have to do this. You know, that reminds me of something. I I don't know how authentic this, uh, this tale is, but um, it's good enough. So I'm going to share it is, uh, um, you know, it better be authentic. I I mean, just the name of the show. I know. I'm I'm (laughs) just going to call it the pressure satch. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you you know, they say that like, if you hold your hand like this and uh, people in listening land won't be able to see what I'm doing. I'm just holding my hand up the way that a Pope, would generally hold their hand up and like mark somebody, you know, draw across is that, that this, this hand shape got started because a particular Pope had an ulnar nerve injury. And and this is an ulnar nerve uh, palsy. This is an ulnar nerve, you know, injury deformity of the hand. And everybody thought there was some magic, you know, significance to this, to this shape he was making with his hand. Like that makes the, makes the blessing work better or something. And so then, Many, many people use the same hand thing, not realizing that it was just they're copying an injury. You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, let, let's face it. You've just you've just explained uh, about 80 percent of hypnosis. Yes, oh, there we go. And I didn't even know it. We, we should call it the, the Bill Nye effect. 
the Bill Nye effect, yeah, right? Because yeah. you know Bill Nye has the the, the claw hands. Oh, yes. okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, love it. I love Bill Nye. Love oh yeah. <laughs> Um, well, hey, James, you know, uh, a while back, Carlos had turned me on to your talk about confidence. And I, I Carlos, I'm sure you wanted to talk about this. Oh, hell yeah. Um, hell yeah. Uh, look, can we talk about that now? I, I, I watched the, uh, you know, the, uh, your, your talk and uh, it really changed something in me. I'm so glad um, I, I got a chance to incorporate it into my life and I've been sharing it with students. And uh, uh, would you mind explaining uh, your, your philosophy about confidence? Okay. Uh, no. Sure. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll just close <laughs> <you>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get uh, off the show. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that'll do. Um, all right. Well, it's, it's probably evolved slightly. Uh, in some respects as well over time. Uh, and, and there was a degree of, I, I suppose you might refer to it as modelling. Simply I just kind of looked around and I asked questions and I paid attention and I tested stuff. Uh, but I, I found that most of the concepts of confidence that I saw fed into the idea of confidence being something uh, something that you that you had to attain that was something that was that was out there it was almost given the definite article um uh, uh and 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 if you think about it the language we tend to use around confidence is similar so we say things like uh, i need more confidence i have to get more confidence i lack confidence or i lost my confidence and it always places confidence as this thing uh we also see confidence as something that uh that comes via practice. So we have this idea of um, um, the mastery, the 10,000 hours mastery model uh, that we associate with confidence as well, that if I do the job long enough, if I get good enough at it, then I will become confident as a result, uh, which leads to this immaculate conception idea that that I hope that one morning I will wake up and ah, it's happened. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Isn't this incredible? There, there it me. is. Yeah. Yeah, um, Eureka. and yeah, the Eureka moment with, with it, and and the truth is that I just didn't see any evidence for this at all. Um, and and when you when when it appeared to happen that way, um, I, I I felt that maybe there was something else going on, and that wasn't really, you know, there was a there was a, a false positive um, uh, conclusion being found. Uh, so I played around with the idea and I looked at it and I modeled people who are confident. I thought about my own confidence in things. And, and so the other, the other one, of course, is the uh, selective confidence that we're confident in one thing, but not in another. It's conditional to an, to an event or experience. Um, so I started looking at confidence and trying to work out what the common denominators were. What were the things uh, that were the same for everybody? Um, what, what was making it work? And the, 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 the basic conclusion I came to was that confidence in its essence is the absence of tension in the mind or the body. 
Yeah, so it's the absence of tension as opposed to relaxation. I think there's a mistake there, and, and maybe the old way I, I would have articulated that w- w- would be wrong because I think I used to say re- re- relax- relaxation of the mind and the body, and I don't agree with that. I think it's it's more important that we look at it as the absence of tension in the mind and the body. Um, I believe, um, and I think that the evidence we have supports this too, but I believe that... Uh, Therefore, we're born confident because we're, we're as, as, as children, as toddlers, as babies, toddlers and, and young children, uh, we don't have uh, physical tension, um, nor do we have um, mental tension, i.e. The, the, the negative thought process uh, that creates the anxiety that we, that we feel a lot of the time. Uh, and when you look at a child, say you look at a, a toddler who's learning to walk, the only muscles that that child requires to walk, uh, to, to be able to walk, are the only muscles in its body that are in under tension at that point. They, they're, they're not physically ted- stressed in any other way, shape, or form. Mm. And you can tell just by looking at the child's face, there's no mental tension going on. There's no anxiety or worry. And and it, it doesn't matter whether they whether they make it to their feet or they fall down or not. Uh, they don't. Um, they don't have that sense that tension Uh, and the only occasion when it does happen is more because they are mirroring the behavior of the adult around them but that's a separate discussion altogether really Um, so for me understanding confidence as a as a foundational building block to build upon rather than something that we see that comes at the end of a process that we actually uh, nurture it to to build from this is the platform we begin from uh, to me made so much more sense um, and you can think of that in Pavlovian terms as well the idea of stimulated response that if I uh, if I work to condition my thinking physically and mentally my behavior and my thinking um, uh, uh, confidently uh, i.e. a lack of tension um, then I can program myself to behave the right way under the circumstances. Mm. Um, so, so you know, you take something that the, the classic one, I suppose, would be um, things like public speaking. Yeah. So, okay. some somebody will be told by uh, by their boss at work, uh, you know, in in two weeks' time, you know, you need to do, you need to give a presentation to clients or the board, and and in that moment, then the anxiety and the tension begins physically and mentally. Um, and they are, they are in a, in a really Pavlovian sense, they are stimulating themselves to react badly uh, to this environment. And it's sewn into um, the, the, the preparation. And at each level of the preparation, they're reinforcing and reminding themselves that they lack confidence and they have all this tension and da, 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 da. And then they wonder why they stand up on stage and, everything goes to jelly um and maybe the thing that resolves that sometimes is they get a nice spike of adrenaline which kind of helps them ride some of it to some degree but none of that's really really helpful you you're better off at the beginning when your boss says you've got this presentation and you go oh no to go ah hang on a minute let's just let's just just have a moment let's just physically relax myself this is the start point Mm. okay now we can continue um and every time I feel that sense of tension, I stop, I step back, I just let it go, and then I move on again. And 
like everything else that we do, it does not take long for our bodies to go, okay, I've got that now. I can do that without you, as it were. Yeah. Um, it, you know, unconsciously competent, if you like that term. Not sure that I do, but uh, um, that's, that's, you know, it's a healthy way of doing it. Um, so so a, a lot of the confidence stuff was simply down to understanding that. There's now, a, I think there's a deeper level to it that I'm now interested in, which is the, um, the idea of understanding, because obviously now we're adults, so, so we, we started off in this naturally confident state, but then the world, parents, school, whatever else influenced us with uh, lots of other experiences. And some of those experiences we dealt with in a very judgmental fashion, judgmental on ourselves and on other people. And we, 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 we created uh, survival-based um, responses to things. Um, and and you know really sadly for human beings a big a big one is the uh, not worthy of love belief mm. the I'm not worthy um, and 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 you can have the most adoring loving wonderful family in the world and still grow up with a with a uh, with a base belief of I'm not worthy uh, in some way. Uh, and and then because of cognitive bias, of course, uh, that now filters every experience that you have through this belief system. Um, to get so, bias. sorry, you start to have confirmation bias, where you start to look for the thing that you are afraid. Yes. Of yeah, absolutely. And, and you and, and you also you also begin to project on on the, those around you. you. You you judge yourself, and in turn, you then judge others based on this false belief. And it's a lie. It was always a lie. That's the point. It was always a lie from the very start. Um, you know, the, 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 there's more graphic and obvious ones that you could look at, like um, uh, the child that grew up with alcoholic parents, um, and the parents, because they were alcoholic, didn't show the child love, unconditional love, and that's the key there, of course, unconditional love. It came with condition. So the child, the child isn't able to understand it's the parent's fault. It's not my responsibility. You know, I've got shit parents. <laughs> so they, you know, the, the child can't do that because the child is inherently selfish. Of course it is. It can't be anything other. It's, it's, it's tiny mind is locked away and this is all it knows. So the child, the child has really little other choice but to assume it's me. And that will start as a feeling, of course, way before it's articulated into language uh, as the child grows out older, but then it does. And now everything is filtered through that. So, so for some people, in fact, for everybody, um, d digging down to understand the big lie, the, the, the big thing, and, and, and learning to, to, to disassociate, to separate out the idea um, is important, I think. To get to get to the ability of of um, uh, of reducing um, the, the the mental tension, uh, so I'm kind of interested in that side of things as well. But I, I don't know if that even uh, did that well, answer that the original was, yeah. question. Did we did we get there? I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I I thanks for sharing that. I, I you're right. I think it has evolved a little bit. You know, from from even just watching your your talk, I love the idea of confidence as a development process. Because you know, there's so many things that we develop. We develop motor skills. 
we develop personality. There's, you know, you know, scientists study the development of personality, the development of walking, the development of eating skills. You know, there's all these things that we have to develop, but um, we don't really talk about the development of confidence as a skill, you know, and it sounds like you're kind of doing that. Yeah. I mean, so I think that the, um, it's a bit like this, uh, assuming all things being equal, um, uh, a human is born with two legs and, uh, you then, you then learn to develop the muscles to use those two legs in the process of walking. Uh, a human is born with confidence but but you still need to learn to develop to use those muscles right right effectively as you, as you grow perfect um, and uh, the the basic the basis of it is that absence of uh, of tension in the mind and the body and and you as a human being work at your best in that in that environment i mean absolutely at your best um, one of my favorite demonstrations to this which i ripped off from from the world of aikido that's something i used to do many years ago mm-hmm. Um, is I do a demonstration um, uh, where I get and, and I get the biggest people in the room, you know, two of the you know two of the biggest f- folks in the room, and I get each to come each side and with both their hands grab hold of my my forearms, and but you know I'm I'm not I'm not a fit man. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've not, you know, the body, the body is a temple. <laughs> it's a disused temple at best. Um, uh, Satanists, no. Um, yeah. uh, but I get two guys to come up, uh, or two girls, whatever, just two big people to come and grab hold of me, two strong folks to grab hold of me. And the instruction is, I want you to put all of your effort into restraining me. Don't try and stretch me, but just restrain me and i will put genuinely all of my effort to try and fight away from you uh which i do very badly and it's tiring i don't get very far it's it was just an exhausting and horrible process and i'm doing what everybody would do in that situation i am trying my best i'm really going for it and then we stop and just get our breath back for a moment and then i say right do the same thing again hold on as tight as you can now this time i do something different and that is i relax completely i relax completely and i just move and and when i say i just move i mean i just move so think about this uh you just reached out to touch a whatever it was you your your arm shot out to your left and you you moved something or you touched the cat or whatever it was that you just just touched uh, my other kitty yeah yeah and you just did it again right now you had to activate muscles in your arm working against each other to do that thing but you didn't have to think about those muscles active activity at all did you 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 didn't have to put any effort into those muscles to get those to get your arm to easy not at all yeah easy yeah easy yeah um because because your body your brain your mind knows how to do that without any awareness taking place yeah without any sense of awareness taking place it knows how to do it. Now, if you put your awareness into it um, uh, wrongly, mm-hmm. it goes wrong. So there's a good way to, to, to define this, and, and it's a very easy thing to do uh, to explain this. If you say to somebody, hold your arm up, tense the muscles in your, in, your, in your forearm, your bicep, tricep, the whole lot, and with your arm tensed and without letting go of that tension, try and straighten your arm. And mm-hmm. the answer is you can't mm-hmm. because your own muscles prohibit your arm from moving. 
Sure. Yeah. Right. Make, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because if you don't relax one set of muscles, your arm can't straighten. Yeah. If you don't relax right, the right, other right, right. Set, your arm can't bend. So if they're all tensed, your arm ain't going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just not possible. It's, it's, I think what you're describing kind of reminds me of sort of the Taoist idea that everything's perfect and then humans add something to it. And then yeah. when we add something yeah. to it, we kind of mess it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so like, well, that's, like you said, we're born confident and then we add something to it. Like in this case, tension, you know, and, and, yes, absolutely. and it gets in the way. Or a belief yeah. that you've got to be competent before being confident. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and actually, I would argue that they come exactly the other way around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Competence comes from confidence, not the, not, not. Uh, confidence from competence mm. um so so yeah so so uh, what you actually find when when you do this demonstration now if you've not tried this yourselves mm. i genuinely would just and you just, just get one other person to do it mm. it's astonishing and it takes a bit of practice because your brain your your adult <laughs> conscious brain if you like is, is saying to you, but I've got to tense my arm surely because i'm 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 lifting something heavy or I'm fighting against pressure. Yeah. But actually, don't. If you keep it relaxed and and move, your your body, your body will will activate the right muscles to do what it needs to do, even against the tension of somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah? yeah, And 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 I, and I go from being uh, unable to move to being able to quite literally throw two big people around like rag dolls. Mm. Yeah, and I've done it so many times. Um, and it shows you, I think it's the best demonstration to show you that your body works physically at its best when it is, uh, when it lacks tension, not when it's relaxed, but when it lacks tension. And if you speak to, uh, so, so I spoke to, um, um, cause I got friends in the army. So I, I spoke to in the, in the Royal, in the Royal forces. So I spoke to uh, a friend of mine who is, uh, an RAF pilot. And in a conversation with him, I said, what is the most important thing uh, when you're flying the fighter jets? And he, and he said, and he said, well, we, obviously we had a lengthy conversation to get there, but very quickly he said, um, I, I can't be tense. He says, I cannot be tense. He says, the moment that my body tenses up, I lose the ability to fly. Because he said, you think about we're flying at like Mach 1 point something or whatever it happens to be, at astonishing speeds in these things that if you so much as flick it, mm. the plane flips. Yeah. He says, so the control is very light. It's, it's very controlled, but it's very light. I've spoken to Formula One drivers who've said the same thing. They're holding on tight because they have to, but the, 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 the the muscular tension is not tension, but the grip is here, mm-hmm. but everything up here in the shoulders, mm-hmm. this has to be really relaxed because they have to have absolute control of the vehicle. And as soon as tension comes in, they lose the ability to move. Mm-hmm. It restricts mm-hmm. them. Yeah. So tension restricts movement period. Now if it restricts movement of the body, then it's not a big jump to suggest that tension restricts, uh, restricts movement of thought right yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah? As in mental tension yeah. and then that takes you into that whole sort of category of fears and all the other bits and pieces but there we go yeah yeah that's beautiful that makes a lot of sense because i mean the physical tension is coming from centers in the brain and the thoughts are coming from centers they're coming from the same place basically you know so uh, they're really not that different
you've, you've got a, um, you know, a keen philosophical mind. I've noticed that a lot of, even though you, you, you joke a lot um, and you perform a lot and things, but I've noticed just in your Facebook posts and just in conversations that you do a lot of analysis. You, you think about ideas and um, concepts behind words and you question things a lot um, as if you're, you're thinking a lot about the models that are driving the uh, expression. Yeah, I think, well, it winds my wife up something rotten, actually. Uh, <laughs> she says, it really does. She says, oh, for goodness sake. She says, you question things so much, don't you? Um, <laughs> it, it, it stems, it stems from, from I've spent 20-something years studying deception mm. um, at, one level, at one level or another. And it, it's, hard, it's hard not to question so you know you've got classic phrases that we have like seeing is believing no it isn't <laughs> you know i mean it's a it's a slightly arbitrary figure but you could you, there's a a, a a very solid scientific case that you know 80 percent give or take uh of, of what you see is entirely hallucinated by your brain mm. so seeing is not believing mm. at all <laughs> it just isn't yeah 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 it's 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 massively filtered process um uh, based around your 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 expectations beliefs and biases yeah no, seeing isn't believing yeah um and this and and if if that's if that's literally the world that you and i are seeing then we have to we have to raise uh, a, a lot more questions about a lot more other things as well. It's a sacred cow or a holy cow. I mean, people don't mm. want they don't want you messing with that. You know, it's like their memory. You tell them that their you know, memories are not stored the way we think memories are stored. You know, it's not mm -hmm. like some file that you double click and it just opens up and and it's everything exactly yeah. as it was when you first saw it. It's like no, you just changed it the moment you searched for it again. Right, right. You remembered. I mean, think of the word remembering. You're yeah. members together reconstructing uh recalling yeah. you know? right it's 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 always an artist's rendition it's never yeah. a picture, yes you know yeah. i went to a i went to a fascinating uh lecture six months or so ago maybe a lot a bit longer ago uh on on memory uh and it was, it was specifically it was false memory syndrome mm. um but but the, the woman was talking about uh, she was a neuroscientist talking about the whole field of memory and, and construction. And she said, there's just a few things that stuck out because I just, you know, I could feel myself grinning like an idiot <laughs> listening to her talk. Um, but one of the things she said was uh, a very high percentage of your childhood uh, memories never happened. Mm. A very mm. high percentage of like pre five years old, people who say that they remember what they did at three or four and like, no, you, you, uh, maybe you can remember what somebody else has told you about what you did at three or four, uh, but the chances of your your memory being at, at, at any level accurate is slim to none, mm -hmm. and probably just none. Uh, but then there's there's other things. Like there was a, a great she showed us a video clip of um, it was like a it was a little car accident. Clearly, the whole thing was staged, obviously, but a little staged car crash, and. Um, um, they'd shown this video to like a thousand people or something, and half of the people they'd 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 asked the question, uh, estimate the speed of the car um, when the accident happened, and the other half of the people they said estimate the speed of the car when they smashed into each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the first group said 
about 30 miles an hour. And the second group said about 50 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Smashed. And it was the difference between accident and smash. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, I'm, I, I find that, I find that incredibly satisfying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's just telling you how much uh, context is involved with uh, meaning and interpretation. Yeah. So now, but now you, you take that into, into the, cause the, the part of her point with this was when you are remembering mm-hmm. part of the action of remembering is that you are uh, actually retelling a story. So when you remember something, even just in your own head without describing it to somebody else, you are retelling the story. And part of that retelling of the story is language, is words mm-hmm. that you're saying to yourself in your head of, oh, yeah, I remember doing this. and However you, you articulate that. But she said, now think about the choice of word that you use in your remembering, mm-hmm. which is probably more based on your mood and experience today you know, it, it stands to reason that it will have the same level of impact that you can that you can start to turn details. So um, there's the the same clip that was used. Um, and so so I can't remember the exact details. You have to forgive me, but there was a period of time that elapsed as well, and then they asked another another set of questions, and uh, the first group were asked, "Was there any blood at the scene?" And the second group were asked how much blood was there at the scene? Mm. Yeah. And, and or, or worse to that effect. So again, that presupposition. Um, and, and again, sort of seeing, seeing that. And there was also something else about the, the idea of um, the positive and the negative outcome. And I can't remember the exact. So the idea that in glass half empty, glass half full. Right. You know, the idea of if, if a question, if an idea was, was put forward, so, so, so they were given a choice of two things, um, and one of them was spun on a positive, and one of them was spun on a negative, even though they were the same thing. Right. And 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 the, and the massive difference in the way that people responded to it. Well, so all of this stuff fascinates. Yeah, me. lawyers, um, I call them liars, um, but they they they're good at that particular tool. I mean, they they, they use that in inter- in in depositions. Um, um, you know, all the time. I mean, it's a way of framing, you know, each side frames the question in such a way that they can maybe trip up the person being deposed. And, you know, it is a lot about um, tricks of language and entrapment and various things can, can come through that, the presuppositions in, in language. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is, which is just one of the many reasons, yeah. yeah, which is just one of the many reasons why I think law, legalism, mm-hmm. legalistic thinking is appalling and just terribly dangerous on multiple levels yeah and i find it hilariously funny that 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 human beings have been um conned sold an absolute lie that uh law brings order right because it doesn't i agree with you on that yeah 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 totally i mean that, that that's doubting 101 too you know yeah, I was present. Uh, uh, people, you know, rejoice and so on. And when the Dow is lost, people lock their doors and you know bar up their windows. I mean, it's just it's the same thing. You know, yeah, you don't need the, yeah. those uh, layers and layers of, of rules um, unless you're going to be creating more and more reasons to. Uh, yeah, I've got a friend of mine, John Launchbury, is a mathematician over in uh, Canada, a very famous mathematician actually. Um, uh, summed it up i think in the most most profoundly beautiful way when he was talking about the idea of, of rules 
Yeah. And he says, uh, um, uh, he says, imagine, imagine two dogs, uh, a vicious, mean-spirited dog and a dog with a gentle spirit. Yeah. Mm. Law is like a collar around the dog's neck. It does nothing to change the nature of the beast. Mm. It simply restrains mm. it. Mm. But, but here's the point. The, 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 dog, the dog with the gentle spirit mm. doesn't need the collar. Right. Yeah. And the, and, 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 and the dog with the mean spirit, the collar doesn't do anything to change it. Oh. And, and, it and it only res- restricts it to a degree and only to a degree. Right. It doesn't actually serve any other purpose. Right. And the kind of hours that collar. Billable yeah. hours, yeah. yeah, right, um, yeah, and 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 now what what happens, of course, is that because because we have the one size fits all model, you actually end up with um, because I think the majority of people actually are good in a in a sense, yeah. I, I think I think that, that if you were to scale it out, more people are. are are better than they are worse mm-hmm. um but because we have we, we because of the legal system that we have which has to play to the lowest common denominator um what you end up with is um uh, uh, a lot of good people being under the penalty of law for lots of reasons which which if, if you if you if you looked at it on a on a much more um uh sensible individual basis you you wouldn't you wouldn't penalize somebody you know just because it's it's like daft things like um i was traveling home from a gig it was two o'clock in the morning i was wide awake you know wired from from the show uh two o'clock in the morning driving down um the m6 which is a big motorway here in the uk um and uh it was empty and i mean empty it was it's the the what we call it so it's, it's we have this one toll road in the uk the m6 toll and nobody uses it because the brits don't want to pay <laughs> <laughs> basically you know, it saves it saves you like 10 minutes on your journey uh, and you know forget it uh, and, and certainly at night there's no point in taking it but i kind of like it because i like driving down the empty road <clears throat> so i'm driving down this this motorway the speed limit here is 70 and i was doing 80 82 maybe certainly no more than 80 82 83 and um a police car pulled pulled out from its little siding right and blue lights came on pulled me over and i'm, and I'm thinking what you, what, what, why, why are you doing this because you interrupted the masturbation session <laughs> yeah, yeah and but it's this idea of well hang on a minute and, and so my, my argument is this, um, uh, laws become more important than the intent for which they were created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's where we have a problem that the intent is, is, is lost very quickly. And it's now, it now just becomes this thing about legalism that it just becomes about the, the, the rule yeah. and the regulation and it, in it, in it, um, contrary to contrary to making us better people which is the illusion that we're given where where rules are concerned mm-hmm. uh, my argument is rules make us worse people so uh, let, let me give you a, a weird example um 
So say if you, you work at a company and you, you schedule a meeting for you and your team for three o'clock in the afternoon and the memo goes out to everybody, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. So now we have two ways of looking at this. We have the, uh, the legalistic way, which is three o'clock is a rule. It, it's three o'clock start. That's a rule, yeah? And therefore to break it has to come with some kind of punishment. Uh, or three o'clock could simply be um, uh, a practicality. Just literally that, just because we need to know where and when. It's just a practicality. So let's look at this in the two ways that you can view it. So at five past three, one of the members of the team haven't arrived. If it's a practicality, you're all thinking, I hope they're okay. Let's wait a little bit longer. Yeah. Somebody go and see if they can find them. Try the mobile, yeah? But if it's a rule, at one minute past three, you're thinking, they're late. They're always late. It's just like them to be late. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, it's, it's, it's not the person that creates that. It's the rule. And we do this with our children all the time. We'll say, we say things like to, to our children, like, elbows you know, the the, yeah, elbows yeah. off the table. Yeah. We create a rule. The child breaks it because why wouldn't they? Because they're not doing anything wrong per se, yeah. other than breaking this arbitrary rule we've created for them. Right. And then, but, but because we've made a rule, we're forced. We, we have no choice but to have some punitive measure. And that might simply be the, the, the raised voice or the, or the scowl that we give the child. Or it could be they get sent to their room or they miss out on a treat. Uh, or we label them as being naughty. Mm. Yeah, so this, this, I think these, you know, maybe deeply philosophical, but I think they're worth thinking about, certainly. Yeah. Well, it's just like what we were talking about. Um, the, the, the rule itself is the presupposition. Like when you said earlier, um, how much blood was there in in the scene versus did you see any blood the rule itself presupposes that one is is breaking such a rule or so you know what i mean and and uh that it can be broken yeah that it can be broken and uh it's you know it's it's the old um spirit of the law versus the letter of the law argument mm -hmm. and um i think i think we should make a law that says we should always interpret the law as the spirit of the law and never the letter of the law you know that'd be a good law you yeah. know <laughs> and we should yeah. and we should absolutely keep to that one yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Up next, Carlos and Satch continue their conversation with James Brown, this time in an extended and unedited conversation about political correctness, ultra-sensitivity, and racism, and sexism, and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, if, like I said, I thought it was so good that I didn't edit it at all. So here you go. I've always enjoyed the kind of the, the fake mockery, the, you know, the fake imperialism yeah. attitude. Yeah. Uh, it's always it's, it's just a bit of fun, of course. Yeah. Uh, but I've always enjoyed that kind of thing where, um, you know, uh, my business partner Danny's from from Italy, um, and you know, I've obviously any excuse to mock him for 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 you know for being Italian. He's, he's, <laughs> 
yeah, naturally. Yeah. You know, basically, yeah. basically, he's a great friend, but if we get into a fight, he's he's just going to retreat immediately. Of course. Go home to mama, uh, eat some pasta. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. You know, what, did, what, what did the Romans ever do for us? <laughs> kind of. And I've always, I've always loved the the kind of the the thing, the thing with America, because because everything, I, I, I presume it's like, well, it must be international. We all have, we all have the stereotypical thing that we associate with different nations around us, Absolutely. and we 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 know it's mm-hmm. not true, but we have that that thing, mm-hmm. and it's and, and and unfortunately in today's society we confuse that with racism, right. and that's not the case. Sure. Yeah. So. Um, although it is interesting that you can be you can be as offensive as you like to some countries, but not to, but not to others. Yes, yeah. that's right. Let's get that clear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? You know, I can make as many jokes like here in the UK. Um, you can make as many jokes as you like about uh, the French, the Germans, the Italians, uh, the Swiss, the Portuguese, the Americans. Mm-hmm. No problems at all. Uh, we can even mock Mexicans. That's not really a big issue because mm-hmm. it's too far away. Yeah. Nobody gives a shine. Um, <laughs> but but if we were to make uh, if we were to do a uh, if we were to mock the Chinese, as in you know the the sort of stereotypical you know mm-hmm. Ching Chong Chinaman kind of thing, m- man, you know if you were if you were a comedian and you did that, you you would be in as much trouble as uh, Louis C.K. Yeah, currently is. Right. Sure. For, yeah. for his latest jokes, which, by the way, just on that one, just to offend a few people who are watching this, mm-hmm. if you listen to that Louis C.K. thing and you were offended, you're an idiot. <laughs> I haven't is what it. you are. But he, he basically, I mean, it's, it's the whole point is. So this is a comedian mm-hmm. at a comedy store doing a comedy set. Yeah. So number one, he's not he's not sharing facts and personal opinions. He's telling jokes right yeah right that's really context cool. huge context huge yeah. Yeah. uh and and in essence in essence uh, he makes uh he's not specific about any particular school shooting but he was, he's talking about the idea that he starts off with the idea of um kids these days are really dull they're really they take themselves way too seriously which i agree with i think kids do they're not kids any longer not in the proper sense you know when we were at college and university uh, I don't know about you guys, but when I went to college and university, I, I partied hard, had a mm. lot of fun, did a lot of really dumb things. <laughs> and I don't regret any of them because yeah. they were huge life experiences yeah. to be part in, to, you know, uh, to, you know I, I, to have color in your past is a bloody good thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, so he's, he starts off with that premise and then he moves on. <clears throat> And he says, basically, you know, these days they're, they're more likely to be speaking at a Senate hearing. Um, and he makes some some comment about, uh, you know, you, you can't be famous just because you survived a shooting by pushing a fat kid in the way. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? okay. It was something along those lines. But you have to understand, you can't take what I'm saying because what I've just said isn't funny. Right. Because mm-hmm. I've not given it the flavor of a joke of a story there's a whole bunch of context and pre-statements and yeah Yeah. so what happens of course Um, is somebody lifts out a line and go and and says you're mocking people who survived a horrific thing no not really but but how's that different from from any other faintly bad taste joke right you know Mm -hmm. when 
how how long how long a period of time do we have to have before something officially moves into well we can joke about that now well, that's a that's subjective joke right. about the great war yeah, yeah. it's entirely right subjective. right that's, but, yeah that's why a lot of comedians um will often they'll make a joke and if the audience goes ooh they'll go oh too soon yeah you know yeah. because we yeah. understand there's there's this arbitrary amount of time that is supposed to go by that nobody knows what it is and yeah. yeah but you also buy into something so i think you know so certainly here in the in the uk the the, the general rule of thumb from comedians and i know a lot of the, the kind of the, the famous comedians here in the uk um not like personally but i know a few of them quite well and i know that the general rule of thumb is this if you are if you're invited into somebody else's home i.e you're on national television on a show where you're invited into somebody's home mm-hmm. by nature, then you you keep your comedy within a kind of a sensible parameters. You might kind of push at some edges here and there mm. to get like the occasional ooh, mm-hmm. but but you you stay away from obviously deeply offensive material. Yeah. But if somebody pays to come to your show, that's yeah. Then, then all bets are off. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, so yeah, what we're talking about you know, falls in line with the uh, political correctness episode that I tagged you in on, on my page, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm not yeah. sure if you've heard any of it yet or if you had time to listen to it. I listened. I did listen to a bit. Okay. Yeah. You know, it, everything we're talking about, it's sort of like I, I could see the two of them kind of, oops, I just hit the mic. I could see the two of them sort of being played back to back because we're talking about a lot of the same stuff, people getting offended about things that maybe aren't appropriate. It's completely fine if you don't like. A certain style of joking but then that's your choice not to listen it's another thing to police everyone else for enjoying it uh, very yeah, different yeah 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 right right i mean it's absolutely sensible that you will have an opinion it's sensible that you'll have your reasons for not liking certain things i have uh something for personal reasons which i don't need to mention at the moment um why i don't like um to see people put their finger to their head and make the gesture of shooting um, I, for a while, probably <laughs> will not, uh, feel good about that when I see that, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but I, I can't expect people to know that I cannot expect no. to not do it. No. And I cannot think, I, I think it'd be rude and, and preposterous of me to judge other people for doing that because, um, somehow that makes them insensitive or something like that. No, it's, I'm sensitive to that for my own reasons, but. Um, yes, but not. you wouldn't you wouldn't call out the notion of you being triggered and that they've they've you know yeah. that the, you would yeah. hit the microaggression it's the same as you know um, uh, and there's nothing lighthearted about this at all um, uh, but uh, uh, a, a decade ago um, my wife and I lost a child mm. um, and you know it, the, the pain of that doesn't go no. it, it doesn't it doesn't go um, at all and. Uh, not, I mean, I don't know, maybe two years, two and two and a bit years afterwards. I'm still in a terribly bad place uh, at the time. Um, I was at a at an, a, a social event with a group of people, and um, some guy, a bit drunk, uh, very loudly started to make sort of dead baby jokes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Now, did it hurt terribly? Mm-hmm. Was I really upset? Absolutely. Did I get angry with him? No. Mm-hmm. Did I shout and scream about it? No. Why? Because I, he, do, he didn't know. He wasn't doing it maliciously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and 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 here's here's the thing unless i'm willing to be a total hypocrite i have to go would i have made those jokes a few years earlier yeah probably because mm-hmm. without context why wouldn't i yeah because exactly. that's the truth yeah have i made this and I, in I've, my head yes i have mm-hmm. many mm-hmm. times and i find that a lot of the um uh, I, I mean, I could. I don't want to label people, but because it's a label that's kind of people are aware of. But the uh, some some within this sort of social justice warrior sure. style sure. epithet um, are are incredibly uh, hypocritical. Absolutely. In fact, I think I think the more the more aggressive you are towards other people, the more hypo- hypocritical you become yourself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I I think um, what's what's important in a conversation like this one that we're having is um, this idea that we everybody is not capable of being one hundred percent sensitive to all of the needs of all of the people at all the time. It's impossible, right. and I and I and I love. <laughs> There's there's a um, uh, a Hindu concept that I've I've always tried to use as much as I can, which I think helps with this sort of uh, this sort of topic. Is that it goes like this: um, you could either remove all the thorns and sharp pebbles of every road on the entire earth, or you could put on a pair of shoes. <laughs> and there you go. People are going to say things. People are going to be offensive. People are going to, they don't, they, sometimes they mean it and sometimes they don't mean it and it's going to happen, but you know, put on a flipping pair of shoes and, and just get yeah. past it, you know? Yeah. Well, there's, um, uh, I, I'm, so I've been sort of following this whole discussion for uh, the, the last few years because I'm, I'm genuinely interested in it and I realize it's ground that you've trodden already. Uh, so, you know, not spend too much more time on it, but, um, <clears throat> Kind of so so certainly for the first year or two, I felt like this was just something happening in college campuses in the U.S. Uh, so I was kind of just watching it as a middle-aged man from a distance, kind of going, "Oh, this is interesting. A little bit scary, but harmless to a degree." Um, but then I've watched it sort of seep into normality over over the past sort of five, ten years, mm-hmm. where maybe these people moved out of university and went into corporate life, and these these ideas have started to filter out further and further and further. And the 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 total lack of uh, evidence required to to bring some of this stuff into being, I find astonishing. Um, so now in the UK, most companies have uh, some kind of uh, unconscious bias training going on. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, do they even know what the word means? Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I've I've listened I've I've listened to conversations um, with people. I've had conversations with people about about this and. And got into not. I try not to get into heated debates with people because I realise there's a pointlessness sometimes about them. But I, I remember not long ago having this conversation with somebody who was who was saying, was going on about basically it was somebody saying about how uh, how toxic you know toxic masculinity and, and <laughs> anti-feminism and all the usual these are the buzzwords. Mm-hmm. And I and I said, look, 
I said, look, I'm, I'm not discounting at any level that there's been there's been an imbalance historically for 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 lots of people, mm. for, in, and that's the point for lots of people, and that women weren't seen as as equal to men for a, for a lot of history um, in a lot of parts of the world, not all, but in in most, and that. Uh, uh, various races were discriminated against, and that, that racism still exists today. That none of that's under dispute. But one thing is absolutely for certain, and that is, we have never lived in a society more equal, more um, uh, unracist, unsexist. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, 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 literally, it is. It has never been as good as it is today in history. Yet, we haven't complained about it as much in history mm-hmm. as we do today either. It's mm-hmm. an interesting point. That I, yeah. That's really bizarre. And I, and I often wonder, there was, um, you know, just kind of putting it out there uh, for people to chew on as an idea. I think we could eliminate racism. Uh, uh, let's just stick with one. Let's go for racism. We could eliminate racism entirely in one generation and and that's what we'd need one generation to eliminate racism and the answer would be this that when your child grows up we never tell them about what happened ever Mm. we never mention it we don't we don't tell our children the history of the black people the history of the white people the history of oppression we don't we don't give them any of that reference at all and we don't we don't teach them racism by by default either by action we literally have a new generation that comes up and 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 the word we, we get rid of the word we get rid of every association with it and, and we simply don't let those children know because the, what people don't seem to understand is that uh you bring and it doesn't matter. So, so if if people are uncomfortable with with terminology, because people uh, that's another thing I find bizarre, isn't it? So, like ten years ago, uh, we decided well, about twenty years ago, we decided that the the politically correct term was that we could say coloured people. But then, about five ten years ago, we decided that that was racist. But we can now use the phrase people of colour. <laughs> <laughs> What is the difference between coloured people and people of colour? Yeah. Now, I'm sure somebody would give me some, like, oh, well, it's really important because da-da-da. I'm like, it's the word of. That's really all that's, all, all we've done here. Mm-hmm. But, can, of, I have a, a question. You, you put forward a, an interesting idea, but I have a counter question to you. Um, how do you teach about history, period, without talking about that particular history so in other words you're, you're suggesting yep. to not for a generation just don't mention the bad stuff but then do you go through and sort of filter out and cherry pick the yeah. bits of information i mean how, how do you tell where so so, the, so so part of this is the point that it's not possible okay gotcha is is unfortunately part of it is it's unfortunately not possible um but what it does do is i think it it raises this idea of uh how we tell the history so we, I think we could still do the job correctly, but we'd have to be very cautious about how we frame okay. the history. And uh, one of the ways that that has to be done is that you have to take out the 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 the, the uh, 
the ironic racism within the storytelling. Sure. If we told it about about other people who are who are who have no connection to us people, then you kind of you're okay. But the moment the moment you're telling the story in whites did this to blacks, and we continue today to refer to these people as the whites and those people as the blacks. Yeah, I see. I see the problem of association you there. You yeah. know, you, you can't. Yeah. You can't not think those things because it it yeah. embeds the idea in it, which is why I've put forward this really wild, crazy idea um, that's kind of along the same lines as what you are saying. And I know it's it, perhaps it's not practical, but here's my idea. Um, let's take, for example, the offense at the swastika. Mm. I've for a long time been a student of symbolism and occultism and things like that. It's a, it's an interest of mine. It's been an interest of mine since I was very young and naturally anyone who looks into the, the history of the swastika knows that it goes way, way back before the Germans. (laughs) They nicked it. They (laughs) absolutely nicked it. And, and it's really unfortunate that, that they used that symbol on, on the flag to, and it was a representation of, of uh, some really evil things that happened and an evil regime and all that stuff. But um, the same could be said for the cross, even more so over the course of a longer period of time. You know, the, the, the symbol of the cross has been used to uh, harm people, uh, unrightfully so, um, for, for millennia, right? Many, uh, many, many generations of that. And yet we don't have that same opinion about the cross. And so what I was saying is that if, um, let's say, um, people who, who identify themselves as uh, ethnically or religiously Jewish um, recognize that it is just a symbol and they can use that symbol too and they were to take it on and, and differentiate the idea of a swastika from the Nazi flag, which had you know red, black, and white, but actually the swastika itself and sort of reclaimed it for themselves, said, you know what, mm. Yeah. This is a symbol like any other symbol and we can oh. use it to represent our own thing. Absolutely. They would hijack, absolutely. they would absolutely hijack any sense of offense that and any satisfaction from a Nazi would be stolen from them because it's a bit like if you said, you're a nerd. And I said, I am not a nerd. How dare you call me a nerd? I'm just interested in things. And, and I got really offended. That's one way. Or I could say, yeah, isn't that cool? I love being nerdy about stuff. I mean, how can you yeah. hurt me if I don't accept that the definition that you're using is offensive to me? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so my point with with things like the swastika or anything else like that is, um, it's a picture. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit like when when I meet somebody who um, uh, who is scared of a Ouija board. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like I mean, it's a it's a piece of wood with some numbers on exactly. it and some letters exactly i've had you know, what level yeah, well, hold on now they, they do actually install the spirit into the <laughs> board in the yeah. fact yeah. yeah well what i do Parker like Brothers. to do is, under yeah. those yeah under those circumstances is i like to give the original victorian instructions uh, to them from the parker brothers company right. uh-huh. <laughs> that explains the idiomotor response yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that it's a toy <laughs> yeah. you're moron right right right, yeah. right, right. Well, my favorite joke of all time uh-huh. I can tell you if your house is haunted. How? It isn't. Grow up. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I love it. That's I love cute. it. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah. So, but there was so I'm this like this idea of of uh, sometimes we create a problem by creating a problem by giving it a name there's a there's a great i'm a massive fan of douglas adams and the hitchhiker's guide yeah. to the galaxy mm. books always bring a and he says so always bring a towel mm. absolutely absolutely and know where your towel is you hoopy fruit <laughs> um uh, <laughs> a geeky reference for you all uh it, but there's a point in that where he makes a, he makes a comment about um this this civilization that uh uh, that solved their, their their problem with depression because they realized the best way to not be depressed was to no longer have a word for it mm. essentially yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah to get rid of the the the, the, the connected uh, word and symbolism of it and there's actually a huge amount of truth to that uh, but the reverse applies that we can create problems that weren't there so recently i went to um uh, I, I spoke at the united kingdom hypnosis conference in london and uh, uh, the room that we were in was this bizarre um, sort of Cold War bunker uh, <laughs> style. It was really bizarre. I almost went it this like, year, but I didn't manage. It was great fun, but the room we were in, the lecture theatre, was very bizarre. How, how offensive, like, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It was just very odd. It was sort of... Um, I don't know how, how to explain it. Sort of, so all, all, it was a, a theatre set up. But rather than just chairs and looking at the stage, you all had sort of these really high desks in front of you, like proper old school wooden desks, but with these these little sort of black monitors inside with all the mm. like 1960s, 70s equipment. Um, very odd, very odd. It looked like something out of a James Bond film, like an old you know, wow. in, <laughs> Dr. No kind of <laughs> moment. Um, but yeah, so so we're there now. We'd been to lots of lectures in this theatre and listened to lots of great speakers, good and bad, and at all points in between as, as usual. And then one particular speaker got up and and opened her her talk by saying, uh, "The thing I really hate about these lecture theatres is um, uh, because you all look down on me. Uh, you automatically think less of everything that I say. Psychogeography. Kind of, yeah, mm. psychogeography yeah. kind of thing. And I thought, well, I haven't been. But now I no, am. I am. <laughs> yeah. You, you've just created a problem that literally wasn't there. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's, it's things like that. There's a sense of, is it anything to do with the geography? There's this weird assumption, but you know, I've sat in I've sat in many lecture theatres where I've looked down at the professor, and do you know what? What was the determining factor as to whether or not I rated the professor? The knowledge of the professor. <laughs> the knowledge yeah. of the professor, <laughs> right? Yes. And how well they imparted it to me. The geography of how I sat, looking at them, and what position we were in, and the elevation. Yeah. Utterly irrelevant. Yeah. See, I, Utterly I, I, I would prefer to give a lecture like that because everybody would look down at me and see how humble I am and how small yeah. and, and, you know, yeah, not big headed at I'm all. I'm the ground yeah. of being. Yeah. Yeah. And it, but it's, it's, it's just, yeah, bizarre, bizarre non- nonsense stuff. But I, mm. so I think, yeah, so the point of all of this is that um, if we're looking at these subjects, uh, 
the labels and the and the, the the spirit that we create around these ideas um, does have gravitas and power. Yes. And unfortunately, we've got to a point where uh, I, I don't. We have the capacity to eradicate these these big problems like racism, sexism. All, all of them, we could eradicate them. But the only way we can eradicate them is that we have to recognize that part of the problem is that we keep fecking talking about them in the way that we do. Mm-hmm. We, keep, we, keep, we keep pointing things out and, and, and labeling things as being racist and, 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 or, or homophobic or whatever else. And, and, yeah. and actually, this doesn't solve the problem. And this notion that we have of the pendulum swing argument that you know say for instance the sexism argument you know for so long the pendulum has swung so far towards men uh that the only way we can reach equality is by swinging the pendulum the other way first nonsense no that's not how you reach equality no you yeah. have to you have to just aim for equality yeah. that's that's, that's yeah. the only damn balance is balance. what you want yeah, yeah absolutely yeah balance is balance yeah. swinging it the other way and and the, the accusations i mean um i got accused uh, uh, I got accused like two months ago in in some like literally no, no no discussion had been had. I raised a point. I asked a question. Literally asked a question, and uh, and I got basically told about my white privilege that uh, that it was you know that that the the deeds of of all bad white men uh, rested on my shoulders mm. as a white man. Yeah, yeah. is it heavy? Like, is it heavy? Yeah. <laughs> How are you managing? Sorry. How are you managing? I mean, with, all, with, yeah, with all due respect, I'm not even responsible for what my dad did mm-hmm. in his life. And I'm damn well not responsible for what my, my grandparents did. And I'm certainly not responsible. And actually, if you have any knowledge of mathematics, you know that, I mean, I've got more ancestors than there are people on this planet. Mm hmm. If you work on a mathematical, mm-hmm. makes sense puzzle going out, yeah, yeah. So, so I've got more ancestors than there were people on this planet. So this idea, this idea that that uh, that that a race is responsible, or to, or to pin it on my shoulders for something that I can do nothing about at all. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean that's racist, isn't it? It is. Yeah, isn't it, is. it? By definition, it am is. I missing the point here? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my my parents told me something which I thought was absolutely delightful and really beautiful, um, and then I, I met him and confirmed it. So this is going back twenty odd years now. So this is way before any of this stuff was was politically being spoken about like this. But my mum, my mum said to me, she was going going through some old school scrapbook stuff from when I was a, a little kid, and she said, uh, "Do you remember your your best friend at, at junior school?" I went, "Oh yeah, Tyrone." She went, yeah. Do you, do you remember him? I went, yeah. And she said, oh, describe him to me. And I did my best to describe Tyrone, just like who he was, how he acted, what he did, you know, just this, my best mate, you know. And she said, uh, is that, is that any, anything else you can remember? I said, no. And she showed me a picture. And I went, yeah, that's him. And she went, have you seen anything yet? I looked and I looked. I went, he's black. Mm-hmm. had no idea mm. no idea at all because i was a child and therefore 
I didn't care. Right. Because you're not born racist or sexist or homophobic or any other. Amen. You're taught this shite. Now, I was lucky that I wasn't taught this stuff. That's not who my parents were. Mm -hmm. So then to be be labelled these things as an adult, I find massively offensive. Yes. How dare you say this to me? How dare you accuse me based on the colour of my skin and my gender? How dare you accuse me of these things? (laughs) You're you're reminding me, James, of um, about maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, there was this little boy, I think he might have been four or five, I I don't recall, but he was a little boy, cute little boy. Um, We were in a store. And the mother uh, was waiting in the line. And this black gentleman was coming up to the line as well. And he was a real sweet boy. And the boy looks up at the man and quite innocently asks him, why are you black? And the mother's face just completely crumpled. And she was just, you could just see that like her solar plexus was just (laughs) imploding, you know? (laughs) And she's like, Honey, we don't say that. And and the the man um, was extremely gracious. He smiled really big, and he said, "It's okay." And and he wanted to address the boy, but she was so embarrassed she couldn't allow any further interaction. And she kind of picked him up and stuff like that. And he's like, "It's completely fine." Like he wasn't offended at all because he could see that the kid was asking in such an innocent way, like so, as though the kid just was curious, you know, like like. Why yeah. is your skin dark? Yeah. You know, you know, why have you got an eye patch on? Why are you missing an exactly. arm? I mean, <laughs> there was nothing wrong with the question and it was adorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. And it just it kind of really was. But this is, this is where we've gone. We've gone absolutely nuts to the point where it's now, it's now determined to be um, uh, an, a, a grievance. Yeah. If you ask somebody, where, where, where do you come from? Mm-hmm. Now, this is the weird thing. So um, I, I will ask anybody, like if I met if I met either of you two socially, mm-hmm. yeah, like like you know, like somebody who who <laughs> looked like me, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I would still say, "Oh, where are you from?" Now I'd hit, live here in the UK, so if I say somebody, "Oh, where are you from?" and they might say, "Oh, Paul," which is just down the road from me, mm. yeah, that's what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. That that's literally what I'm asking. I'm asking you. Where are you from? Here, there, somewhere else. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. But the, what we now have this weird situation is if I had to ask somebody who had a different skin color to me, where are you from? Immediately the implication is, oh, are you suggesting that I'm not, you know, I, I'm not supposed to be here? Are you telling me I have to go back to my own country? <laughs> <laughs> and actually, here's the weird thing I don't believe that most people with a different skin color to me think that at all. I think most people think that I'm asking the question I'm actually mm-hmm. as- asking. Yeah. It's a it's a minority of, of of people who are who are so overly sensitive about everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That. We'll buy we'll, we'll buy him a pair of shoes. Yeah. So we'll... Yeah. Buy, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> when yeah. I was a teenager, I was um, I, I went through the the the, the, the 
part of my developmental phase where I kind of fell into a social group, and and uh, my social group was I was I was one of the heavy metal kids mm. uh, as a, as a kid. So I, I tried to grow my hair long, and mm. I wore I wore sort of you know dirty trench coats, yeah, and, Metallica and, shirts, and cut off gloves, yeah. and yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah, wrapped bands around all the way up my arm, naturally, and all that naturally, yeah, yeah, um, uh, and, and that was kind of that was. Yeah, and that was the that was the, the the subculture group that I belonged to. Now, when we went out into the town as a group, strength in numbers, that was fine. Mm-hmm. When I went out on my own, mm-hmm. I was in no way surprised when people looked at me and went, Ugh. Mm-hmm. "Yeah, why would I be surprised? I stuck out like a sore thumb." Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because I was I was different. Now, equally. Uh, when I went to university, uh, the place that I lived, um, which was a place called Portsmouth, this, this little suburb of Southampton, it was an almost entirely Asian community, Sikh community specifically, okay. sorry. Yeah, uh, Sikh community. And the pub that, that was next door to my, my digs, my, my halls, do you call them digs? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The squalid hole that you live in as a student. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so, um, it, next to Max, my digs was the pub and, um, I became a member of the pool team there. Mm. And I, this is not a joke. I was the only white guy in the pub. Ah. Okay. The only white guy, the re- every, everybody else was Sikh. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was Sikh, even down to the, the bar staff, the whole, the whole place was a, was a Sikh pub, but I don't know why, um, I well, it was it was the pub next door. It's just why I first walked in, and mm-hmm. nobody seemed to mind. So I stayed there and got on really well and joined the pool team. Mm-hmm. But I I was the ethnic minority, right? Yeah, and as such, day one, I I kind of thought, oh, this is a bit intimidating, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Of course, it, of course it is, because it's different. But then you chat and you communicate and you find out that you've got more in common than you than you have that's different. And then, within a short amount of time, you forget. Yeah, right. <laughs> becomes the new normal. Yeah, it just becomes yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it becomes fine. Uh, but I could imagine, I can imagine why people struggle. But it's the it's. Nobody's moving. Nobody's moving forward in a sensible way, and, and we've now reached this level of uh, of fragility uh, where uh, I don't know. I'm just yeah, yeah. I'm just a grumpy middle aged man who's <laughs> worried about the future. Yeah. I think you know the whole thing about right and left. If you you know you go, you've got middle. You go, you go right, and you reach. Uh, you eventually, when you go too far right, mm-hmm. um, you eventually reach fascism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if you go too far left, you eventually reach communism. I think the problem is it's a damn circle. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because yeah. I, yeah. I, I think totally. that, I think the reality is that you go too far right or left, you end up up here where everybody dies. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter whether you went right, left or whether you went right to get there. <laughs> everybody, fr- everybody, everybody dies. Everybody freezes at the North Pole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody dies. Totally. And, Just geometry. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I and I'm I'm just a little bit concerned that the that, that we are. Uh, there's a great line from. Um, in fact, I would I would I would a- actively say watch it. There's um, a monk debate um, uh, uh, under the title of 
um, what I call political correctness. So it's just political correctness. Okay. Look, look at Monk debate, political okay. correctness. Okay. And there are four speakers. There's Michael Eric Dyson, a, a woman I don't know of, and she was actually very forgettable, unfortunately, in the in the debate. She didn't stand her ground in any sense. Um, uh, Jordan Peterson um, and Stephen Fry. Uh, out of the four, Stephen Fry, in my opinion, and maybe I'm slightly biased towards Stephen Fry because he's English and because I think he's really funny and he's really clever and articulate and wonderful and lovely and fluffy and gorgeous. Um, uh, Stephen, Stephen, Fry, Stephen Fry wins the debate because he's the only person who, who, who sticks to the point, who articulates himself really well and who doesn't get dragged, who doesn't allow themselves to be dragged down. Michael Eric Dyson... I'm sorry, but I found him appalling, mm. a, a really unpleasantly appalling individual. It, only at the face of that debate. I'm not saying that that's how he would behave normally. I don't know him. So, but on the on the face of that debate, he comes across very badly. Peterson comes across like Peterson does, which you know I, I think he's got some interesting points mm. to be made. Mm -hmm. um, I think at the same time, um, the way he makes them. Sometimes I think, oh, <laughs> cool, you boo. You know, uh, but Fry, Fry comes out with some absolute gems. And one of the things that he says was uh, that um, the, the, liberal, the, the liberals have become illiberal in their liberality. Right. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and they have become... Um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, exclusive about their inclusivity. And that was the one I loved. They have become exclusive about their inclusivity. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and what it made me think of is all they've done is they've, they've, they've said, you know, here's, here's, the, here's your Venn diagram of normality, you know, and, and we're people who are outside of your Venn diagram. So rather than in, 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 in expanding it to include those people, what they've done is they've just moved it across mm. to exclude mm -hmm. those over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those who are and for those, yeah. And, and what's really frightening is that they've done it in such a way that for any of us who kind of feel like we, we, we fit mm. the overlap of the Venn diagram, um, the people over on this side, and it's only the people on this this far left side, um, uh, see us as being on the right. So, so if you do anything other than to agree with them, you're the enemy. Right. As in, if you don't agree with them 100, percent and that's the frustrating part because I'm I'm with them. I'm I'm with them. You know I'm. Uh, you know, I'm for, you know, do I, do I want equality? <laughs> Damn right. I mean, you'd, you'd have to be an idiot not to. You really would. You know, it doesn't make any sense at all. Do I want to do away with minorities being oppressed? Yes, absolutely. You know, do I disagree with, with homophobia and transphobia and xenophobia? Well, yes, of course I do. Because, <laughs> again, why wouldn't you? <laughs> why, would you why would you want to think that way? But do I want to do it in the way that they're doing it? No. <laughs> do, you, no. do you know who George Lakoff is? 
Um, the name, I, I've heard the name. Yeah, he's a, he's a famous linguist. He wrote um, Metaphors We Live By. Right, yes, yes, yes. And he also wrote yeah. something, um, a book called Don't Think of a Blue Elephant. And uh, he's written several others, but that was the one I'm referring to right now. He talks about the, the right and the left and the failings of the left and the successes of the right and why that is, because he, he's part of, you know, the left think tank. But um, what he uh, quite honestly admits is that the left has really, um, you know, missed this one important gem, which is that um, in all of their... Uh, divisiveness, um, they've created divisiveness. They are not unified. Mm -hmm. You get the people who are the environmentalists arguing against feminists who are arguing against, you know, something else. And whereas the people on the the folks on the right think tanks, they have much more money and much more power and influence most of the time because they don't exclude. So the people who are into family values, who are into uh, anti-abortion, who are into you know imminent rights of domain for development of uh, mineral rights and you know et cetera et cetera big business so on so on they're all in the same boat and they sort of support one another mm-hmm. and yeah. so he, yeah. he talks about that in language and and how that's done in language too so um, you know he just basically offers it as a genuine strategic criticism saying hey if you want the well, change you've got to change the way you use your language. Yeah. Stop being well, here's the, here's the thing, which is which is which I think is fascinating about the monk debate, um, is that um, anybody who knows Fry's Stephen Fry's politics, w- w- your head was kind of fizzing at the at the start of this and the lead up to it, thinking how how is he on that side of the podium? Mm. How is he on the side of the podium with Jordan Peterson? Because because we already know that he disagrees with Peterson on a lot of things mm-hmm. because he's a, a, a left liberal person, right. you know, you know, he's, he's, he's on the other side of, surely he's on the other side. Um, you, you have to watch the debate to, to hear his arguments because he, he articulates himself so beautifully. Um, but he says, uh, one of the points he makes is the, uh, the success of the right is the catastrophic failure of the left. Right. Which is kind of in tow with what you're saying. I mean, left. that the reason that sorry, I said right. I mean left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done there. Let's have a moment's silence for the death Thank of you. that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favourite quote, uh, which which Fry uses, and it's been my, my absolute favourite quote of mine for many years, is uh, a guy called uh, uh, Chesterton. And it's uh, angels fly because they take themselves away. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love that quote. Yes, yeah. I love that. I like that guy. Such a Crazy. great quote. Yeah. Such a great quote. And it's and, and I think that's kind of again what's 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 missing uh, in 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 this whole debate. That there's not there's 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 no doubt, there's no uncertainty in 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 what people are thinking. Um, and we, although we haven't discussed it at, at, at all and possibly won't have time to, but, um, you know, it's, it's been my argument in the world of hypnosis that um, few people are willing to have doubt and uncertainty about what they believe, that this is what it is, this is how it works, and, and this is the way that, that people think, of course, and then cognitive bias, yeah. and, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Uh, confirmational biases. Um, and actually, it's incredibly healthy uh, to... 
uh, question of them. Uh, to encourage, yeah, encourage doubt and uncertainty. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and and to and to and to rejoice in being wrong. That's something else. And to take to take delight in 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 being wrong, mm-hmm. which I think is a really healthy thing. Yeah, that that when you find out that you were wrong about something, that's that's not a moment for oh, it's a moment for yay because yeah. <laughs> i've just i've just learned something i've just grown something's happened yeah wow. um, you, beneficial you know, there, there are a few people who i see doing that more and it's been very very uh inspiring to me because I, I i've that's opened my world a lot um you james tripp anthony jackwin jürgen um somebody think Rasmussen. Rasmussen, excuse me, Jurgen uh, Rasmussen, um, Scott Sandland. I got very drunk with Jorgen a few months oh, ago. You did. <laughs> I wanted to hear about that. Uh, Scott Sandland in, in the US, uh, Michael Watson. You know, you know, these are people that I've seen have that attitude uh, of curiosity. And um, yeah, I sort of work on emulating that in my own work. And start to think about it. Wait, maybe it's not a bad thing if this doesn't work. I just get curious. What was it about it that didn't work and, and why? And, and what if I backed up a little bit and looked at this completely differently? And, you know, what can I learn? I think there's, there's also there's an, there's something that, that I'm, um, and I'm trying to think of the, who, where I heard this first. And I, I, so this is late in the evening for me, obviously, but uh, there's um this idea that that as human beings we have we have this 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 illusion of 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 uh of of our own cause and effect that we that we, that we think that that we are in control of our destiny in the sense that if i do all the right things in the right order the outcome is guaranteed somehow mm-hmm. and we lose yeah we lose the idea that um Essentially, time and chance. We we lose we lose the idea of the um, the third variable, the, the 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 thing that we hadn't taken into consideration, the thing from left field, mm-hmm. um, you know, the act of God, whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, that that we have no control over. And to, and and actually, it's I think it's a very healthy thing to realise that there are lots of things that we have no control over, and that just we're back to the seeing is not believing or shouldn't be at least um uh that that you know uh just because it's like what's the americanism um if it looks like a duck sounds like a duck Mm -hmm. it's a duck yeah and and yeah i mean it's it's true if you're talking about a duck Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> but it's not it's you know if you're using it as this metaphor for life then no sorry that doesn't work because you know one of the things i've learned as a magician is that my entire job is about making something look like it is and sound like it is and even feel like it is mm-hmm. but it really isn't yeah. that's the whole point sometimes yeah? a cigar I'm really able to bend reality yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i always like to say that i always like to say that perception is reality but it might as well be you know, sorry, but it's sorry. Not. I'm just, I'm, oh, I'm still stuck. I'm still stuck on, stuck on yeah. Carlos's comment. <laughs> and I'm just, my instant question is: Is it hand rolled? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I see oh, your point. Yeah. Ooh, nice. 
So I'll tuck it back in. Thank <laughs> <My> goodness. <laughs> oh goodness, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yes, uh, we're all twelve. Got, it's true. Yeah, we're yeah years old. So, you know. this, this this might be a great way to wrap it up on a high note. Like, <laughs> yeah, a very low high note. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. It was there. There. Before we do wrap it up, I, I actually have a question um, about your um, projects, because I know you're always doing something. Mm-hmm. What are you currently working on that's important to you or something that, that's driving you right now um, in your work, whether it be hypnosis or magic, performance, any of that stuff? Okay. Well, the truth is there's, there's, there is two, there, there is, there are even. There is two things, dear me. There are two things. If there were, if there were it was. And if there was, it was. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, while I'm sat sitting. Um, <laughs> there, is, there, are, there are two things that, that are being worked on at the moment. Unfortunately, neither of them I can speak about. So, uh, um, and those, <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no, one of them I have actually. Yeah, one of them is, is ND8, oh, oh, wow. um, which kind of, weirdly gives a, a well, it does probably doesn't give any clues at all but um one of them i can't talk about for that reason the other one i can't talk about just simply because it's just not something that i'm yet willing to uh to to discuss until things come together um <clears throat> no i mean it's it's you know it's just it's it's life isn't it it's it's plodding on and, and having fun and uh, and doing doing what we do um, you know, Danny and I still work together. He's my business partner, excuse me, in Power Academy. Um, we are uh, constantly refining and working on this this much bigger, deeper subject of confidence, which is sort of where everything tends to come back to that subject for us at one level or another. Um, we, we're currently at the beginning of looking at some some more retreats that we've done in the past. Uh, we did one in Bali a few years ago. We did one in Florida. These were focused on performance. Mm, mm, yeah. Well, we're sort of, we're, 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 we're edging more into. So, so here's the thing. When we did the, when we did the Bali retreat, first of all, we'd planned it to be a sort of classic come along for a few days in Bali and we'll teach you hypnosis, pickpocketing and magic. Mm-hmm. And, and sort of performancey stuff and fun. Uh, what we found really quickly was that <clears throat> um, it went so much deeper. It was much deeper, much more transformative for people. It turned into this sort of uh, uh, incredibly fun, but sort of deeply beneficial therapeutic thing, if you like. Uh, uh, and we, we remodeled that again in, in, in Florida. Um, so, so we're, we're, we're talking at the moment, um, and, and realizing that it's probably, it's probably going to be more aimed at lay people and much more about performing as human beings. Mm. Uh, and we're going to be using the magic, the pickpocketing, the hypnosis as kind of tools, uh, to, to, to play with, with these newfound skills kind of kind of thing but it's kind of developmental we're, we're putting it together um yeah that's as much as i can really tell you at the moment Intriguing. but it'll be a, it'll be a lot of fun okay. it'll be a lot of fun but so for the good. from the standpoint of someone who who isn't familiar with your work um 
I just kind of wanted to maybe say a few things about it or, or I mean, it, it's essentially um, magic pickpocketing, hypnosis, skills building. Um, yeah, I mean, so so if you imagine that I've spent the last, uh, or between Danny and I, but uh, so I've spent the last 20 something years performing as a, as a magician, mm -hmm. um, sleight of hand, uh, but mostly based around the, the area of misdirection of, of being able to fool the, the human brain, um, with what it perceives, uh, pickpocketing and hypnosis. Mm. Um, and, and kind of a not not an, well a slightly unique take on hypnosis I suppose different to what most people think of uh, there's a lot of skills that underpin that stuff there's a lot of skills involved there which are transferable out into into other areas of life whether that be uh, confidence um, understanding attention how to manage attention how to uh, uh, alter reality for other people how to change perception uh, build rapport lots lots and lots of stuff that goes into that so what we what we really do is we we teach people those those skills you know we teach you we don't just teach you what to do we teach you how to do it and why mm. and most people only teach you the what we 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 we, we want to teach you the, the bit that makes it really work right it's the, it's the attitude, the soft skills. Those are the things that make this stuff work. The rest of it, it's just window dressing. It's just paperwork. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorite quotes. Um, uh, uh, without transformation, it's all just paperwork. Mm, very yeah. good. So there has, there has to be transformation. There has to be something much, much deeper that, that, that happens, that bubbles up. Um, particularly when we do our retreats, which are much more, you know they're much more expensive of course but they're much more intensive what we want is for people uh you know people to come come from the old world uh be transformed and leave to a new world mm. wow nice. kind of that's the, that's what we that's what we want it sounds so exciting great. yeah, yeah. Wow. it is it's a, and it's so much fun as well it's not heavy it's not burdensome it's it's lots of no, uh, Danny. Danny even does uh, at least three of his sessions in the swimming pool. Mm, wow! Nice. I think great. I saw a video of you guys doing backflips <laughs> into the water and things like that on your little yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you might find so, me on one of those retreats at some point in the near future. Love to have you there. Love to have you there. I think the next one. Well, we're we're, we're in talks at the moment um, with Australia. Um, so we're looking at so Australia, Japan. Um, we're going to do something in Europe as well. Um, soon and um, hopefully come back to the, the states or Canada. Great. Uh, yeah. I mean, Canada seems slightly slightly friendly at, <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's all under the auspices of the Queen, isn't it? I have <laughs> totally managed to avoid making any comments about Trump. Although, in fairness, all, all of the armor that we had a few years ago about making fun of you of, of America and Trump, etc., um, disappeared. We lost we lost all of our collateral the moment we had Brexit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> what were we thinking? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, there, there are so many things that we could talk about, but we obviously need to end this uh, particular episode now, but um, I'd love to have you on again and, and maybe talking a yeah. little bit about uh, your ideas around um, psychology, uh, hypnosis, uh, you know, different things like that. I think it would be fun to have you on sometime again. Happy to chat. Yeah. More than happy to chat. Hey, hey, I hope this isn't too big an editing job, by the way. Ah. 
because I know you've got to get this down to an well, hour, haven't you? Know, you? So. We'll leave it up to the master, the maestro, Oliver. He'll, he'll handle it. Yeah. But you have a podcast of your own that you just started. Um, I yes. Talk about that yes, indeed. Um, all right. Um, I'll give you a quick plug for this. So it's uh, hypnoticimperceptions.com. So hypnoticimperceptions.com. It's also available on uh, sort of iTunes and other um, podcast providers out there. Um, if you're interested in the world of hypnosis, uh, particularly if you're if you're a therapist, then I would I would highly advise you come and listen. Um, basically, the podcast is to pick at some of the preconceived ideas and and beliefs and notions in the world of hypnosis. Sacred cows. In a, in a, sorry, uh, the sacred cows tipping. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we're we're tipping into a fire, burning, sautéing them off, cutting them up and serving them on a plate with a nice sauce. Um, (laughs) You know, basically we're barbecuing the bastards. Um, (laughs) Brown sauce, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Milk milk them Uh, first. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Uh, So, so yeah, it's me and um, Nick Ebton. Uh, and we're it's it's very silly i mean we're we're being very childish a lot of the time and there's lots of laughter and giggling but there's there's i mean i think there's some absolute gold in there as well and it makes people think um we're hoping to have we've had a few great guests on uh, we're hoping to have a few people come on in the new year um in this new year uh, who disagree with us because unfortunately so far everybody who's come on is kind of just been you know they're in they're in the same fold as we are basically mm. and we're hoping to encourage a few folks who 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 would like to champion their particular field uh yeah. <laughs> but but so far so far nobody's i mean i, I won't i don't want to say that there's no that it's cowardice um but they probably just don't know about it uh but you know i don't know there are certain people that just won't come anywhere near us because they don't have an argument. Sorry, but they don't, uh, you know, uh, and, and yeah. So yeah, if, if you want to be challenged, if you want to, if you want to have a few roasted sacred cows, uh, you know, we're killing, we're killing the gods uh, as much as we can. Uh, all of it is simply because we want people to start asking better questions. That's the real thing that uh, hypnosis deserves to be taken seriously. There is science behind hypnosis now there's more science coming there are people like adam eason who are actively involved in doing real research um and you know the days of of hypnosis having to be this at best pseudoscience at worst just utter charlatan led nonsense Mm. is over um and if we want our therapy to be taken seriously, if we want it to be brought into the medical profession, which would be a great place for it to be uh, and, and hugely beneficial, then we need to stop deceiving ourselves and we need to stop treating hypnosis as if it's a collection of spells and rituals, as if it's, you know, I mean, I think we're beyond magical stick waving now, aren't we? Aren't I don't we? Know. Really? I don't know if we are. No, I don't think we are, unfortunately, but we could be. There's nothing wrong with a magical stick as long as you understand how it works. Right. Mm. And that's, that's, that's basically our point, you know. I, you, 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 tap, you tap away as much as you like, but just be honest about what's making it work because it's not really the tapping or where you're tapping or 
meridians or other such things it's there's better there's better explanations which are actually much more useful as well much more useful rituals are good they have their place belief is great i'm i'm a massive believer in belief um but when when we're talking about in-house i'm not talking about the way we communicate with people Mm -hmm. but when we talk about training teaching other people's teaching people how it works then we need to stop the lies and if we don't think we're lying we need to be better educated because some of it's just not true excellent point excellent point. so mm. you know my, my my big thing i said at the the conference last year was um i don't believe in trance but i do believe in your belief in trance so, <laughs> right. that's great that's great wow reminding me that upset a few Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, so how do people find out about you? Where, where would you direct uh, them besides the podcast? Because I... Yeah, so obviously the podcast is uh, hypnoticinperceptions.com. Um, our website for training stuff is uh, Power Academy. That's P-O-W-A dot Academy. That's it, just Power dot Academy. No dot com. Um, nope, no, it's .academy. That's the, uh, that's it. So the company is Power Academy. The website is Power.Academy. And I'm going to just reiterate this again for clarity's sake. It's not Power, E-R. It's Power, no. P-O-W-A. Because yes, when, when Americans hear a British accent, the A sounds like an R. Yeah, well, yeah. I, 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 can, I can solve that. I can solve that. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, or you could pronounce... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh the irony! Yeah. Oh, oh the irony! Yeah. This is how things sound when they're pronounced properly. <laughs> Get your arms off the table. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Power Academy, PWA dot Academy for 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 the for the bits and pieces, um, and you know, just Google James Brown magician or james brown pickpocket or james brown hypnotist and you can get hold of me in whatever way you like um, i'm always open for conversations if somebody disagrees with something I've, I've i've said come and talk to me uh because here's the truth no you're not i might be wrong i might be wrong no you're not just kidding gosh <laughs> uh sorry for uh allowing us to uh keep you up so late um i know this was later for you than, than you intended but it was really great talking to you again um, great philosophizing and chewing the fat and, and I hope to do this again with you um, a, great, a great delight and really 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 good to meet, see you again and really good to meet you you too likewise yeah thank you thanks for joining us my pleasure All right, thanks guys you've been listening to the authenticity show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Very special thanks to our guest, James Brown. If you'd like to learn more about James, you can find his website at professional-opportunist.com, or you can also find his stuff at powa.academy. That's P-O-W-A dot academy. This show is produced by Oliver Altine. That's me. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by me. If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on iTunes, Android Market, Stitcher Radio. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, you know what I mean, all the places. You can find our website at AuthenticityShow.com.
Thanks for listening and have an authentic day.